Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. And now to Acts chapter 27. And I'll be reading from verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave it, we gave to it, and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day... They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I worship. He said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And then moving down to verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest, of the, plank, the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through 
we then learned that the island was called Malta. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment that you would do the thing that only you can do. And Lord, it's the thing that you have promised to do. And that is for the power of your spirit to make these words in your word come alive. Would you shine light on them to make them alive? Lord, would you shine light on places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown? Would you use these words in your word and the words that I prepared to great effect in our hearts and in our souls tonight, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. How will we make it through to all the things Christ has called us to? How are you and I going to make it through with regard to everything that our Lord has called us to do? To me, that question, how are you and I going to make it through to all the things God has called us to, that question, to me, sits behind these final two scenes in the book of Acts. You heard me read it. But Paul has set sail for Rome. Now when he was called to faith in Jesus in Acts chapter 9, he was told that he would bear witness before the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, and he's on his way to Rome, the center of the non-Jewish world. Paul's also told that he will suffer deeply because of this call. And in this scene, in many ways, you get the culmination of both things. Paul on his way to Rome to finish his calling. And at the same time, yet again, suffering deeply. So how is Paul going to make it through to all the things that the Lord had called him to? And it just so happens that this kind of ship log travel diary pirate story that I just read for you is what it sounds like to me. Rudders and anchors. This long travel story is more than just a historical telling of a shipwreck. For thousands of years, Christians have read this story of Paul's shipwreck. They have noticed that it shows us Not just how Paul's ship wrecked, but shows us what it means to live a Christian life through the various storms that come our way. So how are you and I going to make it through when it comes to all the things that God has called us to? There's a main thing I want you to hear from this tonight. If you do not hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this. It's the simple truth that God protects his people. God protects his people. But now that I have said that, I must now tell you, it's just that the protection doesn't always look 
like we think it would. See, throughout this story, God is carefully protecting Paul. He's, he's carefully watching Paul. He's carefully protecting Paul so that there'd be no way that any power of man or, or power of hell can thwart God's purposes for Paul. God is protecting Paul along the way. It just doesn't look like we would imagine protection to look like. So for example, I'm going to read you something Paul says from 2 Corinthians. By the way, all of this is introduction. That should make you nervous. Some of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. I've had far greater labor, far more imprisonments. I've had countless beatings, often, by the way, near-death beatings. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. So this is just one of the three. A night and a day I floated adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in my city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. You get a sense that the relational pain of Paul's ministry was the hardest part for him. I'm just saying In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and as if all that were not enough and hard enough, Paul says in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 11, apart from all those things, there's simply the daily pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. But nonetheless, our Lord protects his people. How? I think in this story, we see three precious anchors that can anchor our souls through trial and storm. So here's what I want to do. First, I want to discuss Paul's situation, how he got to this point briefly. And then I want to offer you really three anchors for your soul and for mine. First, let's talk about Paul's situation. Look with me in verse 1 of Acts 27. And, it was, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Just to refresh your memory, Paul is sailing for Rome, but Paul is a passenger prisoner. You may have been on a, been a passenger and felt like you were a prisoner with the other 300 people you know, playing with you or whatever. But Paul really is a passenger prisoner. He is being extradited to Rome to stand trial. He's being moved, like prisoners get moved, even today, from 
one place to another. He has appealed up the chain of Greco, the Greco-Roman justice system in order that his case might be heard before Caesar. So he is a prisoner passenger setting sail, being extradited to Rome. And like I said before, this will be the end of Paul's journey. He will arrive at Rome, he'll never leave Rome again. And he's not interested in being free. Because he already knows that's his fate. But he is interested in being faithful. And he's on his way. So this story is the culmination of both his call to witness to the Gentiles, but also his call to suffer greatly. And it's important to note that this storm that he's going to encounter is not his fault. That's true on multiple levels. First of all, um, this is kind of an act of gross injustice. He's been falsely accused back in Palestine, his homeland. And he's not being treated fairly in the court system, so he has to sail across to Rome to receive something of a hearing. He's the victim of a gross injustice. It's not his fault. I mean, he's a victim of the weather. And that's because the Bible teaches us that the entire created order itself sits under a curse. Where storms pop up that destroy. In other words, it's not his fault. As if those things weren't more difficult enough, Paul, of course, is being pursued by the devil. There's several points in the book of Acts where Paul says, or in other parts of his letters, he'll, he'll say something like, and Satan tried to stop me. Satan tried to discourage me. See, the Bible says there is a real accuser, a real enemy, a real adversary that is looking and looking and trying to destroy, steal, kill, and destroy literally everything in your life all the time. Every circumstance, every conversation, everything that happens, our enemy is trying to use it to thwart God's good promises. The enemies at work in this whole thing. And finally, Paul's in this situation once again because of God's call. It's a unique call. It's not the same. To be an apostle like Paul was is not the same as the Christian call. But there are similarities in the life of faith. God calls us to things and it's difficult. In other words, Paul lives in the same world that you and I live in. It's the world where everything is exactly opposite of how it's supposed to be. Have you noticed that? Why is it that everything's exactly opposite of the way it's supposed to be? All the time. So this is Paul's situation. And you heard me read it, and the whole thing begins to unfold in a wild fashion. Now, this is one of the longest shipwreck scenes, tellings, um, accounts in ancient literature. People have studied this story to figure out how boats sailed in the Greco-Roman world. It's a long, wild scene. Everything is detailed. There are things about dropping anchor and throwing off tackle. Things I don't even know what it's talking about. Everything goes exactly wrong. The weather, you get a sense that their navigation systems begin to break. 
They are wrecked with anxiety and stress. We learn in verse 33, if you will look at me. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food along, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food. What that means is they're so stressed out by their circumstances that they cannot eat anything. And it's not because they don't have food. They're on a grain ship. There is food, but they can't eat. You know exactly what he means, doesn't it? Don't you? They're wrecked with anxiety. They're, they're hungry. They're hopeless in this scene. They're in despair. And, and they will all make it through safely. That's the situation. So what about these anchors for your soul and mind from this story? There's three anchors that I think are three kinds of protection. When Paul is in this trial, when he's in this storm, when he's in this shipwreck, there are three anchors that begin to be his protection from this storm. Three anchors. Here's the first one. The first one is Christ's presence. The Lord Jesus is there with him in the storm. Look at verse 22. This is when Paul stands up to speak in the middle of the storm. Actually, we'll back up to verse 21. He says, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Earlier in the scene, tried to tell him we shouldn't sail at this time. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Paul, how do you know that? Because of the presence of someone. Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. And whom I worship. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You're going to stand before Caesar. And God has granted that all those who sail will sail with you. There's a few different ways that Paul senses the presence of God in this storm as an anchor for his soul. The first one is a supernatural kind of presence. The crucified, resurrected, reigning Lord Jesus sends a messenger, an angel of some kind, to appear before Paul to assure him of the promises of God. He gets supernatural provision. He gets supernatural presence of the Lord in this trial and in this storm. And it's interesting. It's interesting that sometimes God's move in storms is to simply come and be with us. There's a famous scene in gospel stories where a storm is coming. They're on a boat, and the Lord Jesus silences and calms the storm. There's another scene where these people are freaking out in a storm, and he simply walks out with them, sits with them, and then helps them pass to the other side, which is a different kind of thing than the storm stopping. C.S. Lewis, the writer in his book on prayer, says that our Lord is always working. He's always working. He's always working. Sometimes mysteriously and sometimes hidden. But the goal of the life of faith is to seek to become aware of the ways that He's present with us in trial. That He's already there. He's already working. 
See, Paul experiences supernatural presence. There's a second kind of presence that Paul experiences as an anchor for his soul. If the one is supernatural, the other one is more ordinary. If you notice in the first eight verses of chapter 27, listen to these words that keep being said. We should sail. Accompanied by Aristarchus. Going to his friends. Being cared for by his friends. We sailed. We sailed. We sailed. We came. See, Paul has people. He has fellow Christians on this boat with him who are caring for him in the midst of the storm. So he has the presence of God. He might say in a supernatural way, but he's got the presence of God's people in what we might call a normal and natural way. I don't know if you've been at a place in your life, in some stormy place, and you just know the comfort of the weak. Just the comfort of knowing there's a we. There's a we here. Now, you know, you might be here in this room tonight and you're just like, man, I am living a storm in my own life right now. And you might not. But what I want you to know is you can be a person who's in the boat. You can be a part of a we to somebody in this, in this body. See, the first anchor is, is presence. The presence of God, both supernaturally and ordinarily. Paul is not alone two times over. Which is a precious anchor. Now here's a second kind of anchor that becomes a protection for Paul. A kind of thing that the shipwreck cannot take away. A kind of thing that the storm cannot take away. If the first one is presence, the second one in this text is belonging. Let me explain. Once again, look at Paul's words. All these anchors come from Paul's words in verses 21 and following. Meaning, you should have listened to me and have set sail from Crete and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. See, it's just a unique anchor knowing that you belong to Jesus. And it's a kind of protection to know you belong to him in spite of whatever kind of storm. You guys have heard me say this from the front multiple times and in various different avenues and channels. But there's this ancient catechism. I shouldn't use the word ancient. It's actually somewhat pre-modern. But it's a 16th century Catechism. See, ancient would technically be like third century and that, okay? But it's a 16th century catechism, 1563. This is the Middle Ages. This is the time. This is the era in life where a farmer would be farming and he'd cut his hand on a rusty blade and be gone by noon. It was a wild and dangerous world. And a group of Christians got in a city and they wrote up a way to help people have comfort, to help people learn the truths of the Christian faith. And here was their first question. Catechisms have a question and answer format. A question and an answer. Question and answer. Question number one, Heidelberg Catechism. 
1563. What is your only comfort in life and in death? It's a good question. It's, it's the question. And it goes on to answer, my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong. I belong. Body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the shipwreck cannot take away the fact that Paul belongs to Jesus. See, Paul is protected because he belongs. The first one is presence, both the presence of God, the presence of God's people. The second anchor is this deep, deep belonging. Here's the third anchor. It's a strange anchor. I'll call this anchor bread broken. If you look with me at the next thing Paul says in verse 33 of chapter 27. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it. And then they began to eat. That scene of Paul standing up, giving thanks, taking bread and breaking it. That scene where Paul urges his shipmates to come and eat. See, I think it's supposed to remind us of another scene that the same writer Luke wrote in his Gospel of Luke when we're told on a stormy night, so to speak, when all of hell is going to break loose in the coming 12 to 24 hours, when clouds are going to come over a hill that are stormy and dark, and the friends around the circle at the table literally don't even know what is coming to them. See, this scene is supposed to remind us, I think, of when another one, his name was Jesus, took bread at a meal and, and broke it and encouraged his disciples to eat in order to strengthen them for the storms that were to come. See, Jesus takes bread and he's describing the Passover scene. He's essentially saying a new kind of Passover is now being done. And it's Passover that's going to deliver God's people, not from Pharaoh, but from the ultimate evil sin and death. See, 
See, when we go through storms and trials, hear me here. I want you to hear me say, we're given almost nothing with regard to why. Nothing. Put simply, we just don't know why it has to happen like this. We don't know. The Bible gives us almost nothing for that. But what the Bible does give us instead, it's all our It gives to us instead a man who's on a cross. See, when we're in storms, we have the thought that God has likely forgotten us. But the truth is, He absolutely has not. And the reason you know that is because of Jesus. And in the most concrete way imaginable, in other words, it's not in the realm of ideal, but in the most concrete and real way imaginable, we're given Jesus on a cross which tells us for all time in the most extreme persuasive language possible that we're not forgotten, that we're not alone, that we have in Christ the Savior who took the worst of every kind of suffering. He entered into it to know it personally in order that he might put an end to it. In order that by his power he might lead us safely through. Which is a different promise than saying the storms will not or will the storms will stop. It's a promise that our Lord Jesus guides us through. See, Paul is brought safely through this storm in miraculous fashion. They're all passed by safely. But for Paul, that was only to then go stand trial. And later, Paul would give his life to fulfill this mission. And in that moment, the Apostle Paul would want us to know that death was gain because he made it safely through. Our Lord protects his people. He'll bring you safely through. Awesome. Let's pray.